Hebrews chapter 2, reading from verse 1. Therefore, and we could go back to see the reasons towards the end of chapter 1 when we have that connecting word, therefore. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Remember the warning that our brother David was giving to us last week, the dangers of drift. And the book of Hebrews gives us so much teaching about that very fact. In fact, introduces it right here. Lest we drift away. Verse 2, For if the words spoken through angels prove steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience uh, received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it is it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings." the reference to our Lord Jesus there as the captain of their salvation underlines to us the matter that we're looking at um, back here in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Well, this word salvation is one of the great key verses or words of our Bible. It's a rich and wonderful word. Now if we talk about salvation, what's it bring to mind? There are many there are quite a few aspects of being saved. Salvation is the matter of being saved. And um, deliverance uh, is one of them. Um, we the scriptures specifically of course are speaking about deliverance from the power of sin. We are, and as Paul reminds us um, in the book of Romans, we are so, naturally speaking, we are so subject to this the power of sin. We say we want to do this and we don't do it. We say we don't want to do that and we do do it. Um, that's the natural man. And But sin shall not have dominion over us when the salvation of God has become our portion. Of course we still sin, but we're not living under its dominion. It's not in control. Deliverance is one of the aspects of being saved. If 
if I was being, if I was tied up and um, couldn't get away, and one of you came and undid my my um, th- the things that tied me down, you would be saving me, delivering me. That's the thought, one of the thoughts behind salvation, um, delivering us from the power and the consequences of sin. There's another. There are other aspects about being saved, though. Um, preservation is one. We use it, for example, we buy a bottle of milk and we put it in the fridge so that it'll be preserved. It will not go rancid, as it would do if we left it out in the heat. That we're saving that milk for tomorrow and the day after. Um, we're preserving, and it's one of the aspects of salvation, to being preserved, kept, that is, in our present circumstances by the God who provides this so great salvation. This is clearly a matter of safety in being saved. We often use it in relation to life savers, um, pulling people out of the surf or from the water and so on, delivering from that sort of danger from something that is unsafe and life-threatening. But this, um, the ultimate um, salvation, that which we have from our Lord, is salvation from the power of sin now, the consequences of sin, the guilt of sin, and from the future of sin. I just want to look at it, at the matter of God's so great salvation under these three headings um, that we'll use tonight. One is the wonder of it, the wonder of his salvation. The second is the way of salvation. And the third is the warning that we get concerning this so great salvation. And the writer to the book of the Hebrews is very faithful in giving us that warning when he, he asks the question, how shall, how, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? <clears throat> well, first of all, if we're looking at the wonder of it, could we just consider the wonder of its conception? Who could have conceived of the plan of salvation? Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan, we sing, and wisely so. Who could have come up with a remedy for the human condition brought about by the rebellion of Adam and Eve in the garden and the rebellious nature that's been imparted to you and to me? Who could come up with a plan that would bring salvation, deliverance, from the consequences of sin. That was something that was in the very heart and purpose of God from before the foundation of the world. <clears throat> the, the use of the word great in connection with this salvation, it occurs four times um, at least in the New Testament and on each occasion it refers to something that is unique and incomparable. And this salvation, the wonder of which we're trying to grasp now, is one of those things. He speaks about so great. You can't put the right sort of adjective there that gives it an immense amount of um, emphasis to the word. But 
he puts it there anyway. One of the commentators says, How true this is of God's salvation. Here is something which no man would ever have devised or initiated in its conception, initiation, operation and consummation salvation is all of God it's of him and none other and it's been it was in his heart to save us from our sins and to present us as Jude tells us faultless or at the end of the epistle of Jude um, to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The wonder of the conception of a plan that could do that. Our God is the God of our salvation. He has planned it. He has purposed it. He has made it a possibility. The wonder of its conception and the wonder of its costliness. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And the writers of the New Testament employ the word so just for that reason, to underline the greatness of it. And we see that in um, chapter 2 at verse 9. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. We're here given an assessment of the cost of our salvation, which was nothing short of the death, the life of our Lord Jesus being given, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. We're reminded of it when we consider our Lord Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. The uh, scripture tells us that there he prayed in an agony of soul, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, Matthew twenty six thirty nine. 39. Um, brothers and sisters, we can't enter into the depth of the agony and the anguish of our Lord Jesus. The scripture seeks to um, dramatically convey it to us when it says that his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. This is the anticipation of what was coming. This is with full understanding of what he was going into. This is a measure of the costliness of our salvation. He was marred more than any man. His visage was marred. His appearance was marred. But what about the relationship where he cried from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, brothers and sisters, we're trying to get a picture in our own minds of the greatness, the wonder of this salvation that is being spoken of here and called so great. The wonder of its conception, the wonder of its costliness, and the wonder of its comprehensiveness. They say when a person gets saved from drowning, um, there's a few steps to be taken. The first is to get them out of the water. The second is to get the water out of them. 
And the third is to give them care as far as recovery is concerned from the, the sort of drowning experience that they've been through. And when our God saves the likes of you and me, when he brings us to a knowledge of himself, how comprehensive is this salvation? First of all, it deals with matters that are past. Our brother called for that hymn, that first hymn tonight, because he had he was thinking about it the other night, um, and the wonder of the words were it, that were in it touched his heart. It was, and my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross. Every guilty, every sin and guilt and penalty for our sin attached to us has been dealt with. When I was in corrections, we had um, a number of um, serious offenders come to faith in Christ. And one of uh, my colleagues was telling me about his experience in the Changi prison in, um, in Singapore, where a man had been convicted of a capital offence was sentenced to death to, by hanging and during the interregnum between his being sentenced and being hung, he came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, radiantly saved. I know that there are people who make con- professions and so on under those circumstances. This man was genuinely saved. And he, in the few weeks that were involved, his um, chaplain and he became very, very close. And um, as he, the chaplain was allowed to be there as he walked those last steps up to the gallows and the, the chaplain brother was weeping for him. And he paused and he said with assurance and a shining face, don't cry for me, don't weep for me. In moments I will be in the presence of my Lord. This was a man with a a criminal record that was serious enough for the courts of the land to condemn him to death by hanging. But his sin was covered now. The penalty was to be paid down here, yes, but before the, the God of heaven, whose we are and whom we serve, he was now faultless, cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. Every sin atoned for absolutely. My sin, not in part, but the whole. We sinners and Gentiles can rejoice in that. The comprehensiveness, dealing with all that is past. And dealing with what is present. We mentioned before about he not only saves us from that penalty, but he saves us from the power of sin over us, where previously we have been slaves, really, um, to sin, and now, by the grace of God, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he convicts us where we step aside and fail him. He brings us in repentance back to him, and he gives us the enabling to press forward, growing in grace, and in the knowledge and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's, it's not just a matter of dealing with the past. He handles our ongoing life where the power of sin is broken. And every believer can bear testimony to that. And he also deals with the future where he will remove us from the very presence of sin. We've been reminded again this morning that that day is coming when our Saviour returns for his church and we are taken into his presence. Christ was offered once to bear the sin of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Same book, Hebrews 9, verse 28. We're going to be saved even from the presence of sin. So just those three aspects of the wonderment of his salvation, the wonder of its conception, how the great God of heaven himself purposed that this should be brought about, the wonder of its costliness where he was prepared to send his, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, salvation. And the wonder of its comprehensiveness, dealing with what's past, dealing with what is touching our lives now, and dealing purposefully with what lies ahead. Well, that's the wonder of God's salvation. Perhaps we could think a little bit about the way of salvation also that's mentioned here. Therefore, he says, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. The writer here um, is showing us in these words that the experience of salvation <clears throat> comes by way of hearing the word of God and heeding the word of God. We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Two important aspects in entering into this so great salvation. Hearing the word First of all, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's no salvation for anybody apart from God's son, the incarnate word. And in Hebrews 11, sorry, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, uh, it makes this clear. God who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. God has spoken his last word in the per person of work and work of his son. <clears throat> that was majestically demonstrated, of course, on the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James and John were there and Moses and uh, Elijah meeting with our Lord. And uh, that was where the Heavenly Father broke in with those words, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So we need to hear the word of our Lord and Saviour concerning the matter of salvation, but not only hear, hear it. Uh, as we were singing one of the hymns, um, I think it was last Sunday night, um, where the hymn writer said, Years I spent in vanity and pride, Knowing not my Lord was crucified, or words to that effect, as if he didn't know. Well, for me, the guilt was greater because I did know. 
I was brought up in a Christian home and well taught in the scriptures and resisted the promptings of the Spirit of God for too long in, um, it went, when the invitation to um, surrender my heart to Christ as a young lad um, was, was not carried through. The, there was great guilt there because I did know the way of salvation. I had heard the word of God. And everyone in this room has heard the word of God Everyone has heard the invitation, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But it's not as certain that everyone in the room has heeded and obeyed the word of God. The way of God's salvation is to hear his word and to heed his word. And we, we miss the boat completely if we just regard ourselves as being well taught in the scriptures, we, know, we can know and recite verses concerning salvation. The question is, has it been heeded? Have we received him as we have in John's Gospel chapter 1? There were those who refused him, but to those that received him, to those he gave the right to be called his children. The way of God's salvation is definitely a way of hearing the word of God. Otherwise, we can't know about the way of salvation. But it's additionally heeding, responding, submitting to the word of God. So we've got the wonder of this wonderful concept of so great salvation. We've got indications in just these verses of the way to come into the benefit and blessing of it all. And the writer to the Hebrews is also faithful in giving us a warning. How shall we escape, he says, if we neglect so great salvation? We can Actually, this is a very extensive question because, remember, this is written to... Hebrew Christians. This is written um, to believers in the first instance, but it also is very applicable to anyone who has not yet placed their saving their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a warning note: the process of neglect. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Chapter two. Verse 1. We must give them more earnest heed. It is possible to become gospel hardened. I had a dear friend, he's now with the Lord, um, who used to sing in our open air meetings when we were young people out on the streets of Ashgrove. And he had this rather challenging song. There's a line that is drawn by rejecting God's word where the call of his spirit is lost. Yet you hurry along with the pleasure-mad throng. Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost if your soul should be lost? Though you gain the whole world for your own. And so it goes on. It's possible to be hardened, for our consciences to be seared by 
constant refusal to bow the knee of the heart when the word of God is made clear to us and the way of salvation is outlined (coughs) for us. There's that process of neglect and there's a penalty for that neglect. If the word spoken through angels, this is going back to Old Testament situation, proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I know that we Christians can be neglectful of and not, and not be faithful in making known the gospel and in living the gospel and so on. But the urgency of this is pr- firstly and most emphatically for those who have never bowed the knee of their heart and surrendered their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. The word neglect in our texts is found in the parable in the marriage of the king's son. Uh, You might recall that story is how the king spread a feast in his honour and invited a large number of guests who ungraciously made light of it. And that word, made light of it, is the same word as this word neglect. Are we making light of God's so great salvation? Are we daring to belittle that which is of such significance in the eyes of the Most High God, which has been provided at the cost of the life of his beloved Son? Indeed, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation. Well, the Lord places before us the not only the challenge and the warning, but also the encouragement that we should be his and uh, be his forever. Loving Father, we thank you that your word is faithful to us, to confront us with the wonders of your grace the greatness of your salvation, the marvel of your divine love for rebellious humanity, the work of your spirit to bring conviction to our hearts. And we pray, Lord, for each other in this room tonight that each and every one of us here will be not only knowledgeable about the way of salvation, not only well taught in the truths of your word, but fittingly subject to and heeding of your word and its exhortations that we might be able uh, to say with assurance, I am his and he is mine forever and forever. We commend each other to your care, praying that you will take us forward into this week and make each of us to be a sweet savour of Christ in every place. For Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen.